The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. I feel I ought to begin by apologizing for not being Dr. Jones. Um, he was on the schedule, so if you came expecting to hear him and missed him, I'm sorry. I tried, said to someone, I tried working on my Welsh accent, but it just kept turning into the Lucky Charms leprechaun. So I thought, better I just stick with my own accent. Um, but I am delighted to be here and to have the opportunity to consider God's word with you. Um, and I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 61. Uh, there was a reason we sang a psalm with kind of a difficult tune uh, this morning. That's because we want to consider that portion of God's word, Psalm 61. It has some really lovely things to say to God's people and encouragement to bring. And I hope it will be an encouragement to you this morning as we consider it together. So let us pay careful attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Um, I thought this might be an apt psalm for us to consider together because the psalm begins with really the prayer of the exhausted. I don't know if any of you are feeling exhausted. If you're not yet, I'll check back with you in about four weeks when papers are due and we'll see how you're feeling then. Um, This is a prayer really of exhaustion. Exhaustion offered by David. And of course, as commentators love to do with the Psalms, they love to speculate on what occasion in David's life might have brought up this Psalm, uh, what might have brought these circumstances to mind that the psalmist is meditating on. Uh, A number of people have located this as when David had to flee Absalom's rebellion. Uh, Because this prayer is offered, you'll notice, from the ends of the earth. Uh, From the ends of the earth, I call. Uh, This seems to locate the king apart from home, uh, far from home, far from the palace, far from the comforts of home. And, of course, that would mean far from the house of God. And so this is a prayer of someone who is far from home, who is at the ends of the earth, and who is feeling that separation from home and from its comforts. And you can see how that would fit nicely with David's fleeing uh, the rebellion of Absalom. There's a situation where they're asking for food and water because they are hungry and thirsty and weary in the wilderness. Uh, This is a prayer that is offered from the ends of the earth. It's a prayer offered by one who is exhausted. Uh, My heart is faint. Uh, Faint maybe doesn't quite do it for us in terms of, of words. I mean, maybe when you think of faint, you think of, you know, a southern lady on a plantation feeling a little faint with a fan. 
Um, but this word really is exhausted, sort of at, at your end, um, pressured by life and its demands, um, as a king would be pressured uh, by life and its demands. Um, and it's not just a sort of feeling of pressure. The heart, saying I'm faint in my heart is not just a way of saying I sort of feel a little exhausted. It's sort of exhaustion that goes down to the very core of my being, pressed down on uh, by life's pressures and life's demands. And I thought maybe some of you might feel like that, uh, pressed down by life's pressures and life's demands. Um, and if you aren't feeling that way yet, many of you who are going into pastoral ministry will feel that exhaustion, uh, pressed, pressed down by life and its demands. That's how you give Calvinist comfort to say, cheer up, things could be worse, um, and things will be worse. Um, but we need to know that, and that's what we appreciate about the Psalms, isn't it? That the Psalms are real about life. Um, it's not David became king and lived happily ever after. Um, David was pressed down. David was exhausted. David was pressed by life and its pressures. You are pressed by life and its pressures. Trying to balance your schoolwork and your families and your pastoral work that you're already beginning on. Um, and even those of you who aren't in pastoral programs are pressed down by your academics and trying to balance that with the rest of real life that happens outside of the classroom. We all understand to a certain extent what it is to be pressed in on by life's demands, and we all reach a point where we are exhausted uh, at the end of our ropes. And that's how David is speaking, and that's to whom he's speaking, and he shows us what he does in that situation, which is to call out to God, uh, to reach out to God from that point of exhaustion, far from home, far from the temple, far from God and his people, and to call on him, to recognize his need. Um, and sometimes the Lord puts us in these situations because it's easier for us to call on God in our need sometimes than it is when everything is going well. Uh, when you've got a handle on life's demands and pressures, when things are going well, it's often easy for us to forget God, but we can't quite forget him when we are pressed in. When we are at the end of our rope, when we are at the end of our resources, then we often turn to God. And that's what the psalmist does. He turns to the Lord from his exhaustion and he praise. And praying this way, recognizing that when I am weak, when I'm exhausted, when I am at the end of my rope, I have a God who is powerful, who is powerful to help, um, who reaches out to us. And the psalmist says, you know, I'm calling out to you from the ends of the earth. I am at the end of my rope. And if I'm going to get anywhere, I need you to lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Um, David, as a, as a military man, knows that good ground is where you need to be to fight battles. You need the high ground. And one commentator said it's as if David is looking around at the high places and saying, that's where I need to be, that's the defensible spot, but I don't have the power to get there. If I'm going to get there, if I'm going to get to that place of safety, then God is going to have to carry me there. God will have to do the leading. God will have to carry me along. And so he prays, lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And he takes trust in the fact that God has always been his leader in this fashion. Um, he thinks back to all the ways in which God had helped him. And we can think of David's life and think of all the ways in which God helped him in his trouble. He says, I'm not just calling out into the darkness for a God I don't know to help me. 
But I'm calling to the one who has always been for me, a strong tower, a fortress. That's how he talks about God in verse 3. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And it's interesting how the, the picture in his prayer coalesces from just a sort of bare defensible position. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to that high place. To then thinking about God is not just a high place, but he's a fortress on the heights. And so that, that martial metaphor is, is wonderfully coalescing in terms of power and confidence. It's not just God isn't just a high place. God is a fortress. He's a strong refuge against the enemy. And then interestingly, as he continues the prayer, he turns from this martial metaphor, from these warlike terms, to domestic terms. Notice that? He goes from the rock, the refuge, the fortress, to the home. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. See how we've moved from military to home? I don't just want to be in your fortress, the refuge against the enemy. I want to come home. I want to dwell in your tent forever. Bring me home. Bring me home from the ends of the earth. Um, So we move from that martial metaphor to that domestic metaphor into a paternal metaphor. Bring me home. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. There's a very intimate term of of a bird protecting its young. So we move from rock to fortress to home to father to parent Cover me over. And that's what we need to remember when we are uh, weak, when we are failing. One of, one of the parts of the Heidelberg Catechism I love so much is talking about God, who we believe to be God the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And that, that question and answer concludes by saying, I know that God will give me everything necessary for body and soul. And I know that whatever evil he sends me in this veil of tears, he will turn to my good. I know that he is able to do this because he is almighty God. I know that he is willing to do this because he is a faithful father. And we have those two wonderful things combined together in this psalm, don't we? God is almighty. God has the power to lead and deliver his king. And he knows that he loves his king. That God is also a faithful father that will invite him into his tent and cover him over with the protection of his wings. So the psalm beautifully moves then from the prayer of the exhausted to the praise of the assured. That God who is called out to by the king, the king has confidence in the one to whom he cries. And so verse 5, we have a rather triumphant turn in the psalm when the psalmist says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What is the heritage of those who fear God's name? Uh, well, David has helpfully said that for us in Psalm 37. What is, the inherit- what is the heritage? What is the inheritance of those who fear the name of the Lord? Well, Psalm 37, verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. It goes on in verse 29 to say, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Uh, to live in God's land, to live in God's peace, to live in God's presence forever. That's the heritage of those who fear God's name. And David is saying, you've given me that blessing to dwell in your land forever, to dwell in your land forever 
in peace. And so he's simply saying, Lord, prolong that reality. Keep me in that peace. Keep me in your presence. And so he goes on to say, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. See, this is not just a prayer for David himself, but he's praying for those who will follow him uh, as kings of Israel. Not just prolonging my days, prolong their days. Uh, May they rule before you. May their years continue to all generations. May they be enthroned forever before God. And so what is David doing? He's essentially praying God's promises back to him. He's saying, you have promised to set my son on your throne. So prolong his days. You've promised that I will never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. Be with them forever. May they be enthroned forever before you. And if that's going to happen, Lord, you need to appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. You know, that that steadfast love that I'm sure if you've been here for, you've only been here for a few weeks, maybe some of you, but you've already probably heard the, the, the importance of that word in Hebrew, hesed, that covenant love, that covenant loyalty. Uh, David is saying, you've promised that to me. You've promised that to my sons. You've promised to be a covenant God. So appoint that covenant love to watch over him. I remember there was another important part of the call for David and his sons, which was to walk in faithfulness before the Lord. And David recognizes here that that faithfulness is not something we gin up in ourselves, but even that needs to come from God. So appoint your love to us and appoint our love to you. Appoint faithfulness for us. May faithfulness watch over his throne. That was what the God had required of David's sons in 1 Kings 2.4. If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness. With all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Because a king who is surrounded by God's steadfast love and to whom God appoints faithfulness will ever reign before the Lord. I will be one of God's chosen kings, ruling as God wants him to rule. And that's what David is praying for, for himself, for his sons. And he's praying in confidence. This is the praise of the assured, to know that we just don't, when we pray God's promises back to him, we expect that they will be fulfilled because God does not lie. His word does not change. He's faithful to his promises. That's why David can conclude by saying, so I will ever sing praise to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Uh, Your promises never fail, so my praises can never fail. My praises need to continue. You are an everlasting God. You will always be faithful to your promises. And so my praises can never end. In fact, I need to pay my vows day after day. If you learn anything about vows in the Old Testament, it was usually a one-time thing. You made a vow, you paid the vow. You had the sacrifice given and you had the sacrificial meal where you invited the community and you stood up and said, this is what I vowed to the Lord and this is what he did for me. And then the vow is paid. It's usually a one-time thing, but David is saying, I'm going to pay my vows day after day. It's almost as if saying there, there won't be a sufficient time for me to offer one sacrifice and just get up once and say, this is what God has done. It's something that I'm going to need to continue to do. There's never going to be a time where I can really pay that vow, where I can ever really return to God enough for what he's done for me. 
So we have this wonderful prayer of the exhausted that moves into the praise of the assured. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't see how fully God answers this prayer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful reminder to us that God often grants us in our prayers far more than we could even ask or imagine. I mean, did David really understand the extent to which God would answer his prayers uh, when he said, prolong the life of the king, may his years endure to all generations? Could he have imagined the Lord Jesus Christ reigning forever and ever? Not just on his earthly throne, but on the true throne of which that earthly throne was just a type? That heavenly throne? Could he have imagined that? He would be enthroned forever before God. Would you understand what it is to be given the name that's above every name and to be seated at the right hand of the Father? Did David understand that? Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. But he is covenant faithfulness. He is covenant love embodied, incarnate. And he is the standard by which all faithfulness is measured. The faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. God granted these promises. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Watch over his throne. Uphold his throne forever. And if David, given the promises he understood, could say, and so I praise you. And so I will never stop praising you. And so I will pay my vow day after day. How much more cause do we have to offer great praise to God for what he's done in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's rightly that Paul can say, then our response is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, paying our vows day after day, recognizing, Lord, there is never enough that I can do to say thank you for all that you have done for me and your son, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you see that when we are exhausted, when we are at the end of our rope, it's not the time, the council is not, Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, The counsel is call out to the Lord, who has always been a strong refuge and a tower to his people, who has always been his people's home and their father, and will lead you to the rock that is higher than you. And so may we praise our God who has given us this great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we confess our own uh, weakness that we often uh, spend our days exhausted with the pressures of life. Pray that you would uphold those who are pressed down by life and its pressures, Lord, especially these students who labor uh, to learn more about you, the professors who labor to teach them, uh, the faculty and staff who labor to make sure the institution can run well. Uh, Lord, we are pressed down. We are reminded often of our own weakness and limitation. And in that time, might we call out to you, to know that we have an almighty God and a heavenly Father who is able to do all things for us and who is willing to do all things for us. And may we reflect on the great love you've shown to your people throughout the generations, but particularly in these last days through your Son. We thank you that he is the King enthroned forever, that there is no end to his throne, that covenant love and mercy surround that throne as well as faithfulness. We thank you that his faithfulness is imputed to us. And we marvel at the gift that you give. And we marvel that you give far more than we can ask or imagine. So may we pray with confidence. 
knowing that we have a God who hears and grants all that we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.